The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Pushkin. Hello, hello, Revisionist History listeners. Malcolm here. I just wanted to let you know that you can hear all the remaining episodes of Season 7 right now, if you like. All you need to do is become a Pushkin Plus subscriber. Pushkin Plus subscribers get access to Revisionist History and many other Pushkin shows ad-free for just $4.99 a month. And you get bonus content and special early access. In this case, you won't have to wait two weeks for the rest of the season, which is an eternity, considering just how good the rest of the season is. You can find Pushkin Plus on the Revisionist History show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm slash plus. Minneapolis, 1944. Busy sidewalks. Miles of streetcar tracks, businessmen in gray suits and hats, shop girls in knee-length skirts. The Mississippi snakes through the middle of the city, the Fauché Tower looms overhead. Overseas, the war in Europe and the South Pacific still rages, so many of the younger men are gone. But there is bustle and energy that makes the downtown feel like Chicago or New York City. Unless you look closely, and pay attention day after day. And if you did that, you would see a strange sight that set Minneapolis in that moment apart. You would see men in groups of two walking the streets, early 20s, dressed identically in khakis and white shirts. 
They would seem healthy at first, but then as the fall of 1944 turns into the long winter and spring of 1945, you would see them start to change. You'd see them start to move slowly, as if they were old men. Their clothes are one, then two, then three sizes too big, eyes hollowed out, hair thinning, skin like parchment. They sit in restaurants and soda fountains and drink cup after cup of coffee, but never eat, ever. Even if you invited one of them to join your table, they just stare at your food with blank eyes, then move on, shuffling down the sidewalk, across the Mississippi, and back to a warren of rooms under the football stadium at the University of Minnesota. Back to the Department of Physiological Hygiene, run by a man named Ansel Keys. What does he look like? Ansel Keys? He was short. You know, I think that bothered him a little bit. He was very muscular. He was very, I think, very good looking in his uh, youth. That's Sarah Tracy, a historian at the University of Oklahoma, who's writing a biography of Ansel Keys. You know, he was a child genius. He was one of Lewis Terman's 1,500 gifted children whom he tracked. He was a termite. Yes, he was a termite. You know about the termites. I do, I do. The termites were a group of children with super high IQs. You had to be very smart to be a termite. He was very self-possessed as a child. You know, if he set his mind to doing something, he, he did it. He left high school three times, once to become a powder monkey in uh, some mines, gold mines, once to become a lumberjack, and once to collect bat guano from caves in Arizona. Ansel Keys was America's first true celebrity doctor, a mountain climber, an adventurer. He was on the cover of Time back when that was the real measure of celebrity. He wrote best-selling cookbooks with his wife. He had a fabulous villa near Naples. The army has developed the now famous K-ration, the completely streamlined meal. Back before the Second World War, the army came to him and asked him to make a high-calorie, pre-prepared meal. It was called the K-ration. K for keys, of course. And millions of GIs ended up carrying his creation into battle. Originally designed for paratroops, K proved ideal for tank busters, commandos, and all isolated units. Each package contains a balanced, vitamin-rich meal. With the K ration under his belt, Ansel Keys then turned his attention to an even bigger question, one that had long obsessed those who study human physiology. What happens to people when, for months on end, you deny them food? My name is Malcolm Gladwell. You're listening to Revisionist History, my podcast about things overlooked and misunderstood. This episode is about an audacious experiment conducted at the end of the Second World War by one of the most remarkable figures in 20th century science, Ansel Keys. So for purposes of the tape, if you could just state your name and the location and date of your birth. This is Earl Heckman, living at 888 Adeline Drive in Elgin, Illinois. And I was born on December 1, 1918. The best record we have of what exactly happened in Ansel Keys' laboratory is in a box of taped interviews stored away in the archives of the Library of Congress. 
Each tape runs roughly two hours in length. They contain the recollections of 18 of Ansel Keys' subjects who sat down in their 80s to leave a permanent record of their experience. My name is Sam Legg. I was born in Hackensack, New Jersey on November 10th, 1916. Max Campbellman with an M in the middle initial, and November 7th, 1920. The interviews were conducted by two researchers from Johns Hopkins University, Richard Semba and Leah Calm. The tapes were given to the library shortly thereafter, where they have sat on a shelf ever since, untouched. A forgotten record of 18 voices talking about an experience none of them will ever forget. It was known as the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. We were in Stadium South Tower, the football stadium. Underneath the stadium had quite a complex of, for research there, and we had a, there was a dormitory. We lived in a dormitory there. All the uh, activities at the university were open to us. During their off hours, the men would roam the city. People living near the university saw them all the time. Young men in white shirts and khaki pants, taking long walks along the Mississippi, sitting in restaurants, drinking coffee, but never eating a thing. The men called themselves the guinea pigs. We were all in excellent physical health. And as far as, as, far as they knew, we were all in good mental health at the time. We did not stay that way during the experiment, but we were. You can go to the Library of Congress and listen to the tapes in the reading room yourself if you like. You might end up wondering, what was Ansel Keys trying to accomplish by putting his subjects through so much? And was it worth it? When I hear somebody say, oh, I'm simply starved, I know they don't know what they're saying. (laughs) Uh, Because there's a real difference between what your body craves for from the result of starvation than what you normally feel as hunger. The second episode of this season of Revisionist History was devoted in large part to the story of the famous iodine experiments in Akron, Ohio during the First World War. A doctor named David Marine was trying to figure out how to treat goiter, a condition that causes severe enlargement of the thyroid gland. Goiter was widespread in the early part of the 20th century, Millions of people walked around with baseball-sized bulges on their necks. Marine wanted to see if regular doses of iodine could solve the problem, so he convinced the Akron School Board to let him run a study on thousands of schoolgirls, feeding them regular doses of iodine to see if it prevented goiter. Could that experiment, I wondered, be conducted today? I called up the bioethicist Art Kaplan, who teaches at New York University. Today, to attempt this uh, experiment to prevent goiter would be a hugely different experience for that researcher and for the subjects, the school board, and their families. For one thing, when that experiment was done, there were no federal regulations. There was no federal oversight of what was going on. These days, most experiments involving human subjects are closely regulated. They involve consent forms, disclosure statements, the right to drop out of a study at any given time. Kaplan's point was that compared to today, medical research in the past starts to look like the Wild West. If you could find the money and talk people into participating, off you went. 
In Alabama, between the 1930s and the 1970s, the Public Health Service launched the Tuskegee Syphilis Study, where a group of African-American men were tricked into signing up for what they thought was medical treatment, when in fact, all the researchers wanted to do was to find out what happened when you let untreated syphilis run its course. It was maybe the lowest moment in 20th century American medicine. In the early 1960s, the Yale psychologist Stanley Milgram ran his infamous obedience study. 285 volts. Where Milgram deceived otherwise unsuspecting subjects into thinking that they were delivering high-voltage electric shocks to someone they'd never met. I absolutely refuse to answer anymore. Get me out of here. You can't hold me here. Get me out. Get me out of here. Continue. The next word is green, please. In today's era, the number one consideration in any proposed experiment is its effect on a subject. Back then, the number one consideration was the value of what you could learn from the subject. The subject was thought of like a soldier in battle, someone whose well-being was secondary to the larger cause. The answer to the vitamin question is not pills, but good food in plenty of variety, according to Dr. Keyes. If vitamins were missing from his food, a soldier might have to take concentrated vitamins. If he had vitamins but no food, he would still starve. The best way, naturally, is to supply vitamins in the food. Now remember the stature Ansel Keys has attained during the Second World War. He's the world's greatest nutrition researcher. He's closely involved with the war effort. He just developed the K-ration to great acclaim, and he looks around the world and he sees millions of people suffering from severe malnutrition. The war disrupted the food supply of entire continents. Millions of people were in concentration camps, reduced to skeletons. Ansel Keys knew how little his field understood about prolonged malnutrition. What was the effect of long-term hunger on physical well-being, on psychological health? And what was the best way to bring the undernourished back to health? What was more important, how much you fed someone or what you fed someone? So Keyes designs an experiment. He would need 36 subjects for at least a year. The first three months would be the control period. Each research subject would be stabilized at what Keyes estimated to be their correct weight. Three full meals a day, intake matching outtake. Then, after stabilization, would come six months of severe calorie restriction, with the goal that each man lose 25% of his ideal weight. Exercise would be mandatory throughout the study, 22 miles a week of walking up and down the Mississippi or through downtown Minneapolis, all through the long Minnesota winter and through the following summer. Each participant tested on a regular basis. Blood samples, sperm samples, body fat, blood volumes. The men would be asked to keep journals and record their thoughts and dreams. And then, after six months of starvation, three months of recovery. The crucial part. Keyes planned to test out different rehabilitation diets with varying amounts of calories, protein, and vitamins. The experiment begins on November 19, 1944. Keyes gathers his guinea pigs at the Laboratory of Physiological Hygiene underneath the football stadium. He stands in front of all 36 and gives them a speech he had stayed up the previous night, practicing in front of his wife. Quote, 
We are here because of the problem of relief feeding in general, and particularly in the war-devastated areas today. You can imagine the moment. Keyes, the brilliant scientist, bringing the group of young men before him under his spell. Human misery and want are qualities of life which properly bring an emotional response, but starvation is quantitative and must be met with quantitative answers. Grand words tailor-made for men of idealism, eager for a chance to serve their country. And then, are you ready to begin? And a deafening cheer goes up. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49%, based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious, but the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism and we fold, but the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to The Tipping Point, and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off, but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first-ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Imagine you're part of a typical American family in the 17 or 1800s. After a long winter, you'd find the inside of your home covered in a thick layer of soot. Your kerosene lamps and your coal or wood heating system would have rendered your home in desperate need of a vigorous cleaning. And thus began the annual ritual of spring cleaning, which also included the very important job of changing out your smelly straw mattress. 
And while your current mattress most likely isn't made of straw, there's still a good chance it needs replacing. You deserve a Sattva Luxury Mattress. Sattvas are meticulously handcrafted and include all the luxury features you'd expect from a high-end mattress. But because they're sold online, they cost a fraction of the price of retail. What's more, Sattva will set up your mattress in the room of your choice and take your old one at no extra charge. After all, you've got enough work ahead of you with all that spring cleaning to do. And now, save $200 on $1,000 or more at sattva.com slash gladwell. That's S-A-A-T-V-A dot com slash gladwell. When we started this experiment, mm-hmm. we were all given the same amount of food. Right. Listening to the oral histories from the veterans of the Minnesota starvation experiment is a strange experience. We had six slices of bread. First they'd take away two slices and four slices, six slices. And if you still didn't lose weight, then they'd start taking away your potato. The men are all at the end of their lives. Nearly 60 years have passed since the experiment ended. But rarely do any of them say, I don't remember, or I don't know. They know, and they remember. And their memories are precise. In fact, it seems like they've been reliving the long year between the fall of 1944 and the fall of 1945, ever since. Do you remember what, the, what your lowest weight got down to? 134, I believe. What was sort of your standard weight entering? 180. I, I went in at 220, and they they standardized me down to 180 before the real experiment began. So I got down to 134. The 36 subjects started the experiment with high hopes. Keyes had arranged for them to take classes at the university. The men themselves organized dramatic productions and planned to hold educational seminars. Many wanted to prepare themselves for relief work, after the war was over. In the recruitment leaflet Keyes sent out, he mentioned the intriguing possibilities in the fact that there was an all-women's dormitory nearby for those, as he put it, who wanted to be a guinea pig by day and a wolf by night. What happened after, once the semi-starvation started? Things went downhill very fast. Well, not real fast. It didn't see much change at first. Okay. But um, when we got down to the, to the place where we really knew what the word hunger meant, instead of just saying, I'm hungry, let's go eat, <laughs> which isn't the word hunger. I mean, it's a different, different word. When we really felt pains of hunger uh, and uh, we began thinking about food most of the time and so forth, uh, we began to be more and more irritable. After the three months of initial rigor, while they stabilized their weight, the severe calorie restrictions kicked in. Everyone now got just two meals a day, cabbage, potatoes, bread slices, rutabagas, and occasional treats of macaroni and cheese. I was one of the few, no, I shouldn't say few, I was one of the many that... Uh, mentally was transfixed on cookbooks. 
and I collected probably a hundred cook's books. I would read cookbooks like you would read Reader's Digest. Some of the men would walk into Minneapolis, sit in restaurants, and watch other people eat, the way they might have once gone to a concert or watched a play. They dreamt about food, they argued about food. At mealtimes, they fixated on their plates. I mean, we would lick the plates. Really? And I, I remember... Well, I heard that caused a bit of, that caused a bit of tension. I think it did, uh, particularly uh, uh, Ebling, for instance, one of the first that I saw doing that, and I thought, that's disgusting. <laughs> I'm pretty soon I would do it myself. <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, I, I mean, I just, just thought this is, that you would actually degrade yourself to the extent of licking a plate. Give me a break. And then, <laughs> and then pretty soon we were all doing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coffee was one of the few indulgences they were allowed, so they drank it to excess. Twelve, eighteen cups a day. They chewed enormous amounts of bubblegum. They began souping their meals, their word for adding water to everything they were given, to create the sense that their portions were bigger. One of the men took a date to see To Have and Have Not, starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. I'm sorry, Slim, but I still say you're awful good and I wouldn't Oh, I forgot. You wouldn't take anything from anybody, would you? That's right. One of the great romantic dramas of the war years. But he couldn't concentrate, except for the part where Bogart goes to a restaurant. And if you went to a movie, uh, you, uh, you weren't particularly interested in a lot of scenes, but you noticed every time they ate and what they ate. During the long starvation phase, Keyes began to lose some of his subjects. One of them went walking through downtown Minneapolis and suddenly his resolve broke. He'd been having dreams of cannibalism. He went into 17 different soda fountains and gulped down a milkshake at each one. After that, we could not go out without a buddy. And if we had a girlfriend, we could bring the girlfriend in. The doctors would interview the girl and go okay her. So when we went on a date... She'd be your buddy. Finally, after six months of starvation, recovery. On the final day, when you were able to finally break, what do you remember what you did? Yes. <laughs> they did a big breakfast for us, and uh, that um, most of us stuffed ourselves. And then I think I went downtown in one restaurant and went and ate another meal, and then got out and went to another one, and, <laughs> um, and just... I mean, you, one couldn't satisfy your craving for food by filling up your stomach. Many of us, I think, did unreasonable things. I was invited out for, a, I think, a Swiss steak dinner, and though I was filled to the brim, I went uh, <laughs> and stuffed a little bit more on, in on top and then got on a bus riding back to the, <laughs> to the stadium and jostling up and down on the bus. No. All of a sudden, I lost it all. Oh, no. So I got off at the next stop. <laughs> so I felt sorry for the, the guy that was going to have to clean it up, but then <laughs> I didn't stay around. In 1950, five years after the study ended, Keyes published The Biology of Human Starvation his landmark two-volume account of what was learned during the study. To this day, 
That book helps doctors understand everything from famine relief to eating disorders. If you've ever used the terms metabolism, intermittent fasting, calories in and calories out, then you're talking about concepts that go back to the Keyes experiment. Ansel Keyes did exactly what he set out to do. But his subjects, they were soldiers in a battle whose well-being was secondary to the larger cause. Years later, the subjects of the starvation experiment gathered for a reunion. Ansel Keyes, by then an old man, addressed the group. Someone asked him, did he think the benefits of what was learned were greater than the costs of what the men went through? He looked out at all the men in front of him and said, well, you're all here, aren't you? As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before Nerd Wallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet, but you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, Credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was raised not to complain. I had one of those English stiff upper lip fathers. He carried his wounds and grievances on the inside. 
and I'm the same way. It's very hard to tell the difference between when I'm calm and happy and when I'm teetering on the edge. Is that good? Sometimes. It keeps things calm for my kids. But there are times when we have to share our burdens and enlist the help of others in making sense of our lives. That's where therapy comes in. A good therapist is someone who can walk with you and make that load on your shoulders a little lighter. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gladwell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gladwell. Out of all the interviews in the box of tapes at the Library of Congress, one stands out. The testimony of a man named Sam Legg. His father was a stockbroker in New York City. Sam went to the elite St. Paul's private school in New Hampshire and then on to Yale. Sam Legg was someone the other guinea pigs looked up to. That is, until his behavior took a sharp turn during the six-month starvation period. His moods began to swing back and forth. Like many others, he got obsessed with cookbooks, but his obsession was pronounced. He took to eating in the corner by himself. The historian Todd Tucker interviewed Legg for his book, The Great Starvation Experiment. He writes about the way Legg started to eat. He combined all the food on his tray into one pile. He then took his fork and stirred it and mashed it all together, the thimblefuls of fish chowder, spaghetti, peas, and potatoes, until it was a homogeneous dark gray-greenish paste on his plate. He then salted and peppered the amalgamation until it was crusted with seasoning. When he had scraped every morsel off his plate, he then picked it up and licked it noisily until not a molecule of food remained. The slurping noise was so loud it made the other men wince. In his oral history interview, Legg talks about how during the starvation phase, he felt his character start to slip away. I'll tell you a a a nasty moment. I was walking along, and I obviously had a buddy, but I don't know who it was. And um, it was deep into the semi-starvation, and um, we were tired. When they crossed the street, they didn't have the energy to take the half-step up onto the sidewalk. We were tired uh, and, and weak. And so we were standing at a corner waiting for a light or something, and a kid came along on a bicycle. And he was really moving, pumping away and going, <laughs> I said, I wonder where he's going. And then I said, said to myself, I know where he's going. He's going home for supper. And I'm not. And then for a very brief, I hope it was brief, moment, I suddenly hated that that boy. And that, I hate at this point to tell you this, because uh, it doesn't speak very well for me. Um, but I, I remembered it with, I guess, horror that, that I could feel such a thing. So utterly irrational, but but there it was. And uh, you ask, 
an experience that I remember, I sure remember that. The interview is almost over. Just one final question. Is there anything that we haven't talked about or, or that I should have asked you or you'd like to, to add that seems relevant? You should have asked me why I'm missing fingers on my left hand. Okay. I keep saying to myself that this was because I um, was so weak and I was chopping wood and I got the um, axe caught up in the tree and I didn't have an, a rapid enough re reaction time to pull my hand away, so I removed some fingers. He was at the house of two elderly ladies in Minneapolis who had befriended some of the subjects. Leg and his buddy would go and watch the women eat, then go outside to split wood, to steel themselves against the temptation to take any of the women's food. I recognize that a human being can go through a period of mental illness. I think I was mentally ill. Was I mentally ill at the time that I removed the fingers? I don't know. I like to think that I wasn't. I like to think it was an accident. I'm not going to sit here and categorically say that I didn't do it on purpose. Leg was rushed to the hospital. Ansel Keys heard the news and came straight to his bedside. Leg looked like a concentration camp survivor. His eyes had changed color, a strange side effect of deprivation that was common among the men. His corneas were a hard, brilliant white, the color of gleaming teeth. His skin was like flaky tree bark. His hand was a bloody mess. I'm quoting now from Tucker's account. Is there anything I can do for you, Sam? asked Dr. Keyes. Yes, said Sam. Keyes leaned closer to hear. Keep me in the experiment, he said. Sam, I'm afraid I can't keep you in, said Keyes. You need rest and decent meals. The two of them went back and forth. And Leg said, Doctor, he said, his voice still hoarse and quiet. For the rest of my life, people are going to ask me what I did during the war. This experiment is my chance to give an honorable answer to that question. End quote. And so, for the next five days, until Leg was released from the hospital, they brought him his meals from the laboratory kitchen in a cardboard take-up box. Because, of course, he couldn't eat the hospital food. That would be cheating. Could Ansel Keys do that experiment today? Not a chance. I asked the ethicist Art Kaplan about Keyes' experiment. Kaplan knew the story well. He taught for years at the University of Minnesota. Putting people on starvation diets, having them run around a city, Minneapolis, being confronted with food everywhere, having them stressed out, not a chance. The Minnesota Starvation Experiment, or any experiment like it, could never be repeated today. In the next episode of Revisionist History, we ask, are we sure that's a good thing? Revisionist History is produced by Eloise Linton. 
Lee Mengistu, and Jacob Smith, with Tali Emlin and Harrison Vijay Choi. Our editor is Julia Barton. Our executive producer is Mia Lobel. Original scoring by Luis Guerra, mastering by Flan Williams, and engineering by Nina Lawrence. Beth Johnson is our fact checker. Special thanks to Todd Tucker. Go read his book, The Great Starvation Experiment, Ansel Keys, and the Men Who Starve for Science. Special thanks also to Ariella Markowitz for production help on this episode. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. If you target towns and cities, it's as clear as day that there will be civilian victims. In 1945, the U.S. firebombed Tokyo, destroying a quarter of the city and killing more than 100,000 people. I wrote about this infamous bombing campaign in my audiobook, The Bomber Mafia. And one of the survivors' voices we hear is from a project called Paper City. Paper City is now out as a groundbreaking feature documentary. Director Adrian Francis explores what we choose to remember and hope to forget. To find out more, visit papercityfilm.com and follow at Paper City Tokyo on social media. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through their day. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.